If you would take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. And I'll just say a couple comments about uh, the Pats I know here. This man right here is a good dude. I don't know him great, uh, all that well, but um, we had lunch together last time I was here and had a great time. And, and uh, I was looking forward to seeing him at the door uh, this morning and thankful for faithful men in churches like this who can uh, really kind of rally the troops and pick up the pieces when all the pastors and people are gone. So uh, that's exciting and it's been a joy to get to know Patrick. But also your pastor, Pat. I'm just so thankful for this man. I've learned a lot from him. I continue to learn from him. Uh, in fact, uh, this past fall we had a conference at our church that we called Colossians Experience in which we walked through the entire book of Colossians in one weekend. And uh, your pastor, uh, Pat, uh, came and delivered one of our uh, addresses. And uh, in fact, on Sunday night, he stayed and, and we did a, a Q&A. And when he got up uh, to preach, or excuse me, when he got up to be a part of the Q&A, it was kind of like a, a stage like this, but with chairs. And when he sat down and, and kicked his leg up like this, he still had the same outfit on that he had in the morning, except he had this like neon green socks on. <laughs> and it was like stunningly obvious. So at one point in time in the conversation, um, Pat made some comment in relation to another guy's comment about how he's kind of secure in his position. And I jumped on that to say, you're also secure in your manhood wearing those socks, my man. And... Uh, and he responded with, hey, you know what? I had some time this afternoon and I took a bike ride and these are my compression socks, man. <laughs> Don't make fun of my socks. And so I thought that was hilarious. And uh, of course, you know your pastor and, and that's kind of his MO, right? He's kind of, he, he's kind of his own man. And uh, I love the fact that he's that way. And I've learned a lot from him and I'm so thankful for him and for his faithfulness ultimately to his family and to the scriptures. And so I hope that you guys are thankful as well. And you let him know that regularly. Well, here in John chapter 14, we're going to look at really just three verses in this section in depth. But you will notice in John chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus makes a statement that knocks your socks off, even compression socks. <laughs> Ultimately, he says... He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Just think about that statement. Greater works than these will he do. Greater works? Can you imagine the magnitude of that statement? Greater than walking on water? Think it through. Greater than teaching with divine authority that blew the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious elite away. Never seen anything like this. And he was 12. Greater than feeding 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. Greater than calling Lazarus out of the tomb. What can he possibly mean by this? The individuals who believe in me, when I leave, greater works will they do. 
What can he possibly mean by that? Most come to the consensus as they scramble to make sense of it. Come to the consensus that Jesus refers to the collective effort, maybe of the apostles and then the early church and then extending to us today as the gospel explodes. They're beginning in Acts and continuing to this present day. Most conclude he refers to that. Ultimately though, my friends, and hear this, what's clear is this. What's clear is that though Jesus is leaving bodily, He is making it clear that His work here is not done. His work here is not complete or His work here is not finished. In fact, He says in these very chapters, I'm going to leave My Spirit with you and through you I'm going to continue to work. And in fact, great works are going to happen. So what's clear is that God's power is still present. Amen? Alright, let's try that one more time. (laughs) What's clear is that God's power is still present. Amen? Amen. It is present. And that should invigorate our hearts as God's people and collectively as a local church. I hope you're excited about seeing what God will do through you and through collectively Omaha Bible Church. And I'm excited for you and excited for us to dig in and kind of figure out what exactly God means by these statements. So what's clear, again, is that Jesus will continue His work through His Spirit. But the question that we seek to answer this morning is how. How will this happen? I think you find the answer in verse 13. Check it out with me. Verse 13, it says this, Whatever you ask, again, this is Jesus, Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's my aim this morning that in these two verses, you and I would find instruction about and great inspiration to prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the fact that they are standing on your gospel that it's clear even in their songs. I thank You that there's sweet fellowship here. I pray, God, that You would use this church in mighty ways. And I pray that this morning You would remind remind us all of our desperate need of You, of Your strength. I pray that You would shape all of us individually and corporately to be men and women and churches that are marked by prayer. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to just break this down uh, this morning into two sections. First of all, some instruction about prayer. And then secondly, the necessity of prayer. So I think you find some great instruction about prayer in this text And I really want to just kind of break that down in in three ways. First of all, how to pray. Secondly, what to expect. And thirdly, what to seek. So let's check it out, verse 13. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in My name, and remember this is connected to the greater works, whatever you ask in My name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Great instruction here. First of all, I think you see a summary about how to pray. Jesus says in that first opening line, whatever you ask in my name. 
I would first of all say to you, as we consider how to pray, maybe a little prayer 101, if you will, that you and I must pray with faith. And I would derive that from the context. You can see that very clearly in in chapter 14. The whole thing is really about faith in Christ. You can see it very clearly that Thomas here in verse 5 asks the Lord, how can we know the way? Jesus says what? I am the way. Right? Philip, later on in this text, says, uh, show us the Father and that will be enough. And what does Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Check out verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then that line, that greater works. So you cannot separate prayer from this context of belief. How to pray? You and I must pray with faith. Jesus talks a lot about this. In another place He says, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. James, in James chapter 1, puts it this way. He says, let him ask in faith, not wavering. And so, when you and I pray, and this may be basic to some of you, it may be new to some of you, But wherever you are in the scheme of prayer today, understand that you must pray with faith. Pray with raw, rugged belief that God is amazing and that God is sovereign and that He's omnipotent as our Creator, as our Sustainer. And so when we go to Him, we go with faith. Secondly, I would say to you from this text that Jesus says, pray in your voice. You see that here? Whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name. When you pray, brothers and sisters, pray with faith, but also pray in your own voice. Okay, Not reading someone else's prayers, although that can be helpful from time to time. But pray in your voice. In other words, God wants to hear from you. And by the way, He wants to hear you in your lingo. Not 17th century lingo. Not these and thous. Do you guys talk like that normally? Typically you don't, right? Unless maybe you're quoting Shakespeare on Valentine's Day. Maybe a good plan. I don't know. But you don't typically talk that way. So pray with faith and pray in your own voice. Would you check out with me Matthew chapter 6? Briefly, turn over there with me. Uh, Jesus talks about this and I think we would do well to... Bring this into John 14. Jesus, the teaching on the subject of prayer. By the way, He taught a lot on the subject of prayer. In this whole text here in Matthew chapter 16, He's driving at the theme of authenticity, of genuineness. So verse 5, He says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners and they're drawing attention to themselves with their amazing prayer languages. Verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What is Jesus driving at? Pray in your voice. Okay? From your heart before God. I think this is a critical thing to think through. I've talked to a number of people who've asked me, or basically made the statement, I don't really know how to pray. 
In fact, I was with a guy, a young man uh, in our church this past Thursday uh, for breakfast, and he basically asked me that question across the table. Um, how, do, how do I pray? I don't know how to pray. How do I do it? Listen, prayer is, in essence, and very simply, communication between your heart and God. Pray in your voice. I remember when I was a kid, um, growing up in a little Baptist church in North Carolina. That's why I like amens, by the way, a little bit. It's kind of in my blood, you know. Um, so growing up in this little Baptist church in North Carolina, I remember one specific occasion. My family, we were always in church every time the doors were open. And we were always you know, somewhere near the front. And on this occasion, we were in the, in the front row just to the left. And our pastor invited these guys up to take the offering, and, and he asked one of them to pray, and he was a new guy at our church. And so he says, so-and-so, pray for us. And the guy starts praying, and I'm telling you, it sounded like it was out of Shakespeare. I mean, it rhymed and stuff. It was amazing. He was like, Lord, we thank Thee for the flowers, for the trees, for the mountains, the purple majesty, etc., etc., and I can't remember exactly what he said, but I was amazed by it. I remember looking up at him, and then my brother, who is about a year younger than me, he's just adjacent to me, and I remember looking at him. And we both looked at each other, and we were like... And my brother said, That guy can pray. <laughs> and that's kind of our concept. Like, my prayers are chump change compared to that. That's real praying. Well, not so with Christ, okay? So take his total teaching on the subject of prayer into this text. When he says, whatever you ask, understand he's wanting to hear from you. As he talks to his disciples, he wants to hear from his men, from Peter and James, from John. He wants to hear from you in your voice. So when you pray, pray with faith, pray in your voice. But thirdly, and, and maybe most prominently in this text, pray in his name. So what does he say? Whatever you ask in my name. I think there's really two dimensions here that he drives at with this. First of all, with his access. Secondly, with or in his will. You and I must understand that according to the gospel, the only way we have access before the throne of God, before the Father, is through Christ. What does First Timothy tell us? There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. It is He who gave Himself as a ransom for all. And so we praise God for His gospel. And because Jesus Christ came and did what you and I could never do, in keeping God's holy law perfectly, and then went to the cross, and there God poured out upon Him, his righteous wrath against sin. He was laid in a tomb, but three days later, He gloriously rose again. Amen? He rose again, and because He did, He showed and demonstrated that death could not defeat Him. Sin could not handle Him. So He conquered it, and He won the victory, and thus He won for you, my friends, access to the throne of God. So if you know Jesus this morning, if you've come by faith, repenting of your sin and from trusting in anything that you could do to trust in Christ alone, He has clothed you with His righteousness. Thus you have access before the throne of God. So when He says, you pray, ask in My name, He says, ask with My access. 
before the throne of God, but also according to His will. Like what He would stamp His name to. That's what our prayers should have as content. That which Jesus would stamp His name to. What will this be? It will be that which will find agreement with His Word, and that, that which will be eager for His glory. Now, it's right here that we immediately begin to eliminate silly and selfish prayers, don't we? Right? Because it's kind of hard to get, Lord, give me a Lamborghini into John fourteen thirteen. Would Jesus stamp His name to that? I don't know. It's very difficult to get, Lord, please help the Cubs to win into John fourteen thirteen. Right? So even though I'm a diehard Cubs fan... I don't know if there's any sympathizers in here, but even though I'm a diehard Cubs fan, it's not really a biblical prayer for me to say, God, please help the Cubs to win. Right? It's that which Jesus would stamp His name to. Like, I approve that message. James 4 and verse 3 says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So when you pray, maybe prayer 101, pray with faith. Pray believing that God is real, that He hears, that He will answer. Pray in your voice and pray in His name, according to His Word, according to His revealed will. So you and I should boldly pray that God would save souls. We should pray that this church would be unified. We should pray that God's name would be glorified through Omaha Bible Church in this area, in the surrounding Omaha community. We should pray that we would each and one another endure trials well. We should pray these things from the Word of God in faith, in our voice, and in His name. So, how to pray. But secondly, I think you see in this text, what to expect. What does he go on to say? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. What should you expect when you pray? When you pray according to His will, what should you expect? What should your heart be waiting for? I I would say to you from this text that you should expect to see God work. You should expect to see the glory of God displayed. You should expect to see lives changed and saved. Lives growing in their understanding and living out of the great gospel message, you and I should expect to see the power of God. We should expect to see God work. But I fear it's at this juncture that many a Christian, and even many a theologian, will begin to feel uncomfortable. And we'll begin to soften the words of Christ, or maybe take the edge off of them. And we've concluded that since we have a sovereign God, since He's omniscient in every way, that we need not be too hasty to think that God will really pour forth His Spirit if we but pray. And so, our reaction sometimes to words like this, that will I do, is to say, now doesn't mean this. And I think it's kind of a shame that our first reaction is to explain what it doesn't mean. Why not accept what it does say? 
He says, whatever you ask in my name, in context with greater works, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. No qualifications. He says, that will I do. And we soften it, don't we? Well, let's be careful with that. Okay. Don't press that too far. The only problem is, my friends, the only problem is that the Word of God tells us differently. Consider these other texts. Jesus in another place says, Ask and it will be given you. Are we comfortable with that? James chapter 5, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The psalmist says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. James 4.2 says this, You do not have because you do not ask. Now hear me out. Okay, I'm a sovereigntist like your pastor. According to the word of God, I will not press this further than it needs to go. But I would challenge you that you and I are prone to take the edge off of words that Jesus intends for us to just believe. What you ask in faith, in my will, that will I do. Jesus is saying, I'm eager to work. I'm not holding back on the greater works. I'm not saying to Omaha Bible, you guys need to soften your passion a little bit. Man, I'm sovereign, guys. I'll take care of this stuff. No, he's saying, pray. Get in there. Pray. Work. Witness. Evangelize. Preach. Love each other. Unify. And pray. And maybe I'll show up in ways that you didn't expect. Maybe I'll blow your minds in ways that you did not expect. I love what John Piper says. As he describes James 4.2, he says this. When James 4.2 says that you do not have because you do not ask, it does not mean you would have anyway, even if you didn't ask because I've got a plan. The verse doesn't mean the opposite of what it says. It means prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. And I think at this point he said, I can feel all the Calvinists squirming. <laughs> but you know Piper's a Calvinist, but the guy believes the Bible. So we love to link arms with men like that. It means that prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. This, he says, is why this is a staggeringly glorious privilege. This is breathtaking. If you do not avail yourself of the privilege of bringing to pass events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you are acting like a colossal fool. God is beckoning us into our share in the running of His universe. So my friends, don't put God in a theological box. Pray with faith. What should we expect? We should expect to see the power of God. We should expect to see God work in amazing ways. 
Number three, what to seek. What should we seek when we pray? Well, this is obvious, right? We should seek answers to our prayers, right? Well, let's see what the text says. What does Jesus go on to say? That will I do that, so that you can have what you want, so that you can have what you ask for. He says, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is the trajectory of our lives, is it not? This should be the trajectory of this church, seeking the glory of God. Seeking the advance of God's glory through His gospel. Life is about Him. Ultimately, this should shape the way we think. It should shape the way we pray. Are we eager for and desirous for the glory of God being seen? Man, when we are, it will shape the way we think about ministry. It will shape the way we pray. Desires for God's glory. And my friends, this is critical. Because it's so easy to become human-centered or man-focused and centered. I recently heard a professing evangelical pastor seek to explain to his church how to understand the Bible in four pictures. And here's how he did it. He said, the first picture you need to see in order to understand the Bible is this. God is for you. God is for you. He went on to say, God is for you, God is with you, God came to be in you, or came to be with you, and then God is in you. Now, there's a lot there that you and I would say, very cool, sound. But I would submit to you that if you start with, here's how you understand the Bible. God, first and foremost, is for you. You've missed it. And it will lead you into a ton of error. God is first and foremost for Himself. This is what the Bible teaches. God is for Himself. He is eager for His own glory. And it's not selfish in that way, because God is perfect. God is pristinely pure and holy and righteous. He is amazing. You and I are not amazing. I hate to break it to you. We're not amazing. God is amazing. What's amazing is that He wants to have fellowship with us. And He's made it possible at the expense of His Son. That's amazing. Amen? That's amazing. Consider the words of Jeremiah. Excuse me, Isaiah. In Isaiah 48, 9-11, God states, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. So God is saying to His people, I'm acting on your behalf, but ultimately for my sake, for my glory. He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. First Peter 4.11 In the context of church activity, church ministry, Peter writes, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, for the purpose of, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's to Him. 
To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The aim of God's glory in our prayers actually infuses strength into points one and two. Does it not? Just think it through. Seeking God's glory helps to align our prayers with His will according to His name. Again, I would say to you, it's hard to fit God's glory into a Cubs win. So a pursuit of God's glory helps to align our prayers, but seeking God's glory also causes our expectations to rise. See, one notion is that when I figure out that life is really not all about me, that my hopes and dreams are deflated. It, it, it actually should be the opposite. When I conceive of the fact that all of life is about God, I recognize, man, let's go gangbusters, baby. Let's get out there and bring glory to God. It's not about me. It's about Him. He is amazing. He is awesome. So you and I should pray with faith. David charged out on that battlefield, not because he saw it as an opportunity to show the world how he had been practicing his sling. Not at all. It was not about David. Man, it was about God's glory. Who is this guy that defies the army of the living God? And so God's glory is what you and I should pursue. By the way, before we move on, let me just say this. If God's glory is the ultimate goal of every Christian, if God's glory is the ultimate goal of everything that a church is about and does, and answered prayer brings awesome glory to God, we had better be fervent in prayer. We should be on our knees. Jesus is saying here, that answered prayer brings God glory. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, great instruction about prayer. But secondly, see also the necessity of prayer. I want you to see just for the next few minutes that prayer is non-negotiable. Prayer is non-negotiable for the greater works to happen. You see, verses 13 and 14 really clear up. And the potential confusion of verse 12 really clear up. When you see, and when we read that we will do greater works than Jesus through His power. You and I must understand that Jesus is not saying, I'm leaving and I'm taking my power with me and you guys are just going to be spectacular. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to dispense my power through my Spirit, through you. That's how the greater works are going to take place. You see, when we read greater works in verse 12, we kind of freak out. The eternal optimists in the room are like, yeah, that's going to be so cool. I can't wait for that to happen. And the realists are like, yeah, not going to happen. We've got to seek to explain that in a different way. But we freak out because we immediately turn to the spotlight on ourselves. And we think that this text points just to us. What Jesus is making clear in verse 13 and 14 is this. It's still my power. It's still my power. He says, that will I do. Verse 14, he says, ask and I will do it. Now I would say to you that these statements say something about Jesus and also something about us. Regarding Jesus, 
it is that He possesses the power and strength. And regarding us, it implies that we are completely powerless and weak. So verses 13 and 14 are making it very clear. He's saying, I will still do it. Through your prayer, through the power of the Spirit, I will still do it. Verse 14, ask and I will do it. Therefore, prayer is an appeal for God's intervention, for God's activity, for God's action. Prayer is also an admission of weakness. Can I say it this way? The posture of prayer is the position of weakness. The posture of prayer is the position of weakness. So this, this, this gives us great clarity. First of all, clarity regarding divine ability. And here we clearly see the distinction between Jesus' wondrous works and the greater works that He says you and I will do because Jesus had the capacity to do the works with His own might and according to His own merit or the merit of the Father. But the greater works which He promises you and I will be a part of are done by believing agents but not according to their own might or merit. Not according to our merit or ability, but according to His. We are merely conduits of His might. There's a great illustration or example of this in Acts chapter 3. Do you guys remember what happens in Acts chapter 3? On the heels of the day of Pentecost there, thousands are converted. Peter and John make their way to the temple. And God uses them to heal this lame man, this man that was well known in the area. And all of a sudden, this guy is jumping up and down, doing his two-step, etc. And, and people are astonished by this. And so the crowd begins to form around Peter and John. And this is what they say in Acts 3, 11-16. Peter says, Why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? If by our own power or piety, we had made Him walk. They go on to say, It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. So when Jesus says, that will I do or ask and I will do it, He's giving us clarity. This is about His power, His strength, not about ours. But it also implies, as we just stated, human weakness. And this is what I think we need to think about. It implies human weakness. In other words, there is no way in which to read human empowerment into this verse. None whatsoever. These prayers of petition stem from and are rooted in our incapableness. So think about this for a moment. Prayer is not about channeling your inner strength. It is about laying hold of divine strength. Prayer is not about tapping into who you really are. It is recognizing who He really is. Prayer is not entering some yoga-like trance whereby you and I expunge all our inner demons so our true self can shine. This is not what prayer is about. I remember back when I was in high school, I saw a clip on the Oprah Winfrey show. She was interviewing this, this world-famous pop singer and she asked her this question like, how do you, how do you keep your center? Like, how do you handle all the pressure and all the stress that comes with what you do? And I remember this, again, worldwide singer. She said, 
Oh, Oprah, I pray. Oh, I pray. Basically, what she was saying was, I channel who I really am. And I channel my inner strength. She was really referring to human empowerment. That when I get alone and I collect myself and I become really who I am, I'm able to meet the demands of my world. That's not prayer, my friends. It's not prayer. Jesus actually calls us to something far greater. Far greater. You and I have the privilege of tapping into the power that rules this universe. We have the privilege of talking to the one who flung the stars into space and knows them all by name. Just think about that. In prayer, you and I have the opportunity to, to, to declare before Him, I'm weak, but you are strong. It's really in essence saying, I can't, with the knowledge that God can. That's the posture of prayer. And that posture is really why it's so critical. Because trusting in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own ingenuity is folly. So it's at this point, my friends, that you and I might be tempted to say, got it. In fact, Pastor Dustin, hate to break it to you, but we've heard all of that before. And I would say, I know you have. I know you have. But we really need to apply. Because I'm fearful that you and I would just nod our heads and say, got it. This is a God-centered, gospel-centered, praying church. We got it. But I think we need to probe deeper. I think we need to ask ourselves some, some penetrating questions. So I've got just a couple more minutes, okay? But I really want you to think it through. What part does prayer actually play in your daily life? Would you think that through for me? What part does prayer actually play in your daily life? Do you even pray? Are you daily cognizant of your need of His grace? Could I say it this way? If you do not pray, you are proud. It's kind of confrontive, I know. But it's true. If you do not pray, if you would look at your life and you would have to admit, you know what? I haven't prayed a whole lot this year. Do some stuff. I even serve in the church. Haven't spent a lot of time praying about it. Could I submit to you? You're proud. You are arrogant. Because what that reveals is that you think you can handle it. You think you can handle the temptation that Satan is going to put, put in front of you. You think you can carry out the ministry that God has called you to, apart from His strength. When the entirety of the Word of God is saying, No, you can't! Jesus says, Without me, you can do nothing. You desperately need my grace. And it's available for you. There's an endless supply of grace for you for every moment, in every season. 
But you have to recognize your need of it. You and I have to be willing to bow our knees and humbly ask. So many of us are, are concerned about our families, concerned about our kids, and rightfully so. And I think a lot of the time we're, we're so prone to check out every book on the subject, to check out every seminar on the subject, to go to every weekend to remember or whatever. Maybe God is probing your heart this morning. Pray. I could work. I could work in your spouse. I could also work in you, big boy. You need it. You need my grace. You need my strength. Get on the front edge of it. Don't wait till your marriage is crumbling to start praying. Don't wait till your kids are rebelling to start praying for them. Understand that you need His grace. Strive to become men and women of prayer. Get on your knees. That's where the real battle is. There are undoubtedly people that you desire to see change. What is the time contrast like between the time you spend in prayer for them and the time you spend trying to fix them? What about in times of crisis or trial? Is prayer your go-to? Or is it your last resort? How often do you seek the prayers of godly friends? Even though our, our temptation is to say, I'm good. My life is kind of under control. How often do you ask other people to pray for you for a specific sin issue or a specific trial that you are facing? Are you quick to say, you know what? I need God's grace. I'm nothing without Him. What part does prayer play in your life? Do you pray? Or are we people that think we've got it on our own? And in reality, are we sitting ducks for the roaring lion who's seeking to devour? Number two, what is your perspective on fruitful ministers or ministries? Would you think this through with me? What is your perspective on fruitful ministries, ministers, great works of faith, mission endeavors, etc.? How do you think about those things? I ask this question because I think we often think of it in terms of people and in terms of strategy. Please track with me. I'm almost finished. We, th we often think of it in terms of people and strategy. Like, that person is incredibly gifted. And God used them to do amazing things. Or, those people are incredibly creative. And God uses them to do amazing things. Is that your concept? Is that your perspective? Or... Are you wise enough to say, you know what I want to see? I want to peel back the curtain. I want to see those prayer meetings that happened. 
I want to see what happened behind the George Mueller that we know. And I want to understand that it wasn't because he was just an amazingly gifted dude. But the man was on his knees on a daily basis saying, God, if you don't work, we've got nothing. If you don't intervene, these kids will starve. But because he was on his knees and God showed up in amazing ways, you know his name. To the glory of whom? To the glory of God. What is your perspective? Is your perspective, man, that guy's cool. It's no surprise God uses him. That individual is incredibly gifted. It's no surprise God uses him. Or is your perspective, I want to see the prayer. Now, as you consider ministry, I think we're so quick to jump to strategy. How should we get this done? Here at Omaha Bible Church, how do we make this whole, whole thing happen? How can I make youth ministry pop and come alive? How can I make our children's thing do well? How can I make this happen with some pizzazz, baby? They're going to write about us in Relevant Magazine or something. Six ways to do church or six ways to do youth ministry. Never fail. Is that our mentality? I think too much of the time, that's where we spend our focus. That's where we spend our time. Mapping it all out. Hours and hours and hours planning and planning and planning and not praying. I'm not saying that planning is wrong. Please hear me. You need to do it because you care about the glory of God. But I will say that planning without prayer is stupid. Planning without prayer is saying, I've figured out how to win souls. I've figured out how to change lives. And that ain't there. Pardon my southernness. That ain't in John 14. He says... These greater works are inextricably linked to your prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Not because you had a sweet plan or strategy, but because I am for the glory of God. Is prayer an addendum for you or is it the process? Let me illustrate in conclusion. As I was thinking about this message, I thought about the concept of a letter that you would write. And maybe back in the day, you actually wrote handwritten notes to your special someone. And I just want you to think through how that process was. Maybe some of you sat down and for a lengthy period of time, in a really special way, you wrote down your heart. You wrote down what you felt about so-and-so, and you poured your effort and time into this letter. And then you did what? You folded it up, you put it in an envelope, you addressed it, and then, last but not least, what did you do? You stamped it. Because you know it ain't going nowhere without a stamp. How much of the time do we view ministry, or excuse me, do we view prayer like a stamp? I know what God says. It ain't happening without His power. 
It ain't happening without His strength. So we better pray. So, like 40 hours of work, and we're on the precipice of this ministry. Hey guys, we should pray. Boop! Now God will work. What if we flip that? What if we come to the understanding that we need Him? And that our effort is in prayer. And that all along the way we are saying, God, would you lead us? God, would you guide us? God, would you make it fruitful? Would you empower this ministry through your Spirit? Would you use me? I know I'm not great. But would you use me for your glory? Would you work in a mighty way? And then step back and see God do amazing things. When that happens, my friends... It's clear where the glory is, isn't it? When that happens, John 14, 12, 13, and 14 explode in our minds because it's about God's glory, not human ability or ingenuity. We're not viewing prayer like a stamp. We are declaring our dependence on God. So I'm pumped, and I hope you guys are as well. I'm pumped to see the greater works in 2015 in Omaha, in your life, and through Omaha Bible Church. But what God is telling us is that those greater works are inextricably linked to prayer. The question is, are you men and women of prayer? And is this church bathed in prayer? Let's go to Him in prayer. God, thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You do provide and empower and enable and equip. And we repent of our foolish attempts to do ministry without You. And I pray, God, that You would help us to see that our greatest need is to depend, to call upon Your strength and Your grace. Father, I pray that You would use this church and You would use these people for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.